1: of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Deidre Van Ness. Deidre is the founder of Crazy Good Talks, a communication coaching firm that helps advisors be better communicators in both private and public settings in order to help their clients and prospects actually take that next step. What's unique about Deidre, though, is that she has developed a very specific process that she uses to teach advisors how to employ a range of foundational stories that in turn lets them make that deeper connection with those they're trying to reach and connect with. In this episode, we talk in depth about why Deidre feels that it's less important for advisors to worry about whether or not their people they're communicating with get why they're saying, and how it's far more important to focus on making the emotional connection instead. How Deidre teaches financial advisors to take the technical body of content that every advisor has access to and present it in a way that prospects will be more inclined to take an action on, and why Deidre feels that every financial advisor can learn to be a highly effective and emotionally compelling communicator, even for advisors for whom public communication doesn't come naturally. We also talk about the key question that Deidre recommends advisors should ask in the first 30 minutes of a prospect meeting in order to get, as she puts it, into their hearts instead of their heads. Why, after asking the question, advisors should avoid showing prospects how they can solve whatever issue the prospect is dealing with, and instead just use the opportunity to create empathy by sharing one of their own foundational why, desire, or teaching stories. And why Deidre believes that advisors who truly feel that the service they're offering is in the best interest of the people they work with have a duty to learn how to be as persuasive and inspiring and as compelling as possible. And be certain to listen to the end where Deidre shares how advisors can make the intangible service they offer more tangible in the eyes of prospects by emphasizing and even naming their planning process rather than just focusing on their service alone. The key mindset shift that Deidre made in prospect Beings that helped her focus on simply helping the person she was meeting with instead of feeling pressured to do everything perfectly in order to close the sale, and why Deidre feels it's so important for advisors to look at the words, message, and stories that they have as business assets that they need to invest their time and efforts into over time. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Deirdre Van Ness. Welcome, Deirdre Van Ness, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast.
2: Oh, thank you, Michael. I was thrilled when I got your email inviting me to be on your show.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm really looking forward to today's episode and, and talking about what I, I think is a really common dynamic and challenge out there in, in our advisor world, and I think particularly amongst. The, I would say the the listenership to the Advisor Success podcast, which which tends to be a an advisor audience that that you know, takes their career of being an advisor maybe a little bit more seriously than the average advisor spends a little more time reinvesting in themselves and their expertise and their knowledge and their capability for clients, and gets that point that I think you you characterize very well and just knowing a bit about your work and what you do and 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 even how you promote some of your work on on your website that. There are a lot of advisors out there who are, I think as you put it, A-plus professionals Mm -hmm. and B-minus speakers. Yeah. (laughs) And if that's you, this is getting to be a tough world because I think particularly in our financial advisor world, clients do not have a lot to go on when they're trying to figure out who's a good advisor and who's not. Financial planning is a very intangible service. You don't really know its benefit until after you've been through it. You often don't know who's good or not until after you've already gone through the process with them, which means clients really have like painfully little to go on to figure out who's a good advisor or not, which means right or wrong, most clients or most prospects place an irrationally heavy weighting on your sheer speaking and communication skills. When we communicate well and confidently, people tend to presume we're pretty good at what we're doing when we don't communicate very confidently and we're not a good speaker unfortunately people tend to presume we're not very good at what we do and so you know, i just i I've, I've long been fascinated with the the work you do with advisors around speaking around communication skills and and around this phenomenon that how we speak and communicate is literally becoming a proxy for how clients assess our competency and our skills as a professional which means I guess as you put it like being an A plus professional and a B minus speaker is kind of a problem in today's world.
2: Yeah and it and the problem is that 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 you know that gap really needs to be filled because for right or wrong I mean here's the good news you can be not so great but if you're a really great communicator people will will think you're better than you are and you will get opportunities that other people won't the flip side is i think that many people especially in this in- industry are really good and your listeners in particular are really good at what they do and they're probably not getting the credit for it right out the shoot because they might not be speaking and writing so michael i also i also talk about writing skills a lot of being a good speaker is actually knowing how to write a great presentation And then that also goes to knowing how to write, say, copy for your LinkedIn page or for your website or even social media posts. A lot of your listeners may not be getting credit, quote unquote, for how skilled they are because they haven't really focused on up-leveling their communication skills.
1: So I'd love to just dive into that a little bit more. Just what does it mean when we talk about up-leveling our communication skills? I feel like the default for most of us is is something the effect of you know, I, I, I talk to my clients like I I explain concepts I I right. educate them on financial issues they they seem to get it like we're we're doing okay I I give them advice they they take it for the most part like granted public speaking I think in particular is a unique fear for a lot of people mm-hmm. just the whole phenomenon of. Of being up on a podium, but short of public speaking, which maybe we'll come back to in a moment, I I feel like this discussion is in an even more general level around just communication skills. And at least I'd like to think a lot of us don't necessarily think we're that bad at communication. <laughs> like, are are we are like are we actually that bad and we don't realize it? Or is this more a function of you know, what you do in a one-to-one meeting with a client is not the same as what you need to do to connect with prospects and and show your competency to to grow your business.
2: No, here's what it is. And you said something. You actually said kind of the key. So I think for, for your listeners, if you're listening to this, I might say something now that is the most important thing I'm going to say the entire interview. We'll see. We'll see what else you ask me. Here's the issue is that most advisors, when they are communicating, whether it's one on one or in a group, you know whether it's on video, whatever mode they're communicating in, they are focused on making sure their listener or their reader gets what they're saying and where you also need to be focusing, if not more than on making sure people get it, Michael, you have to make sure they feel it. That's the problem,
1: okay so. Help me understand that a little bit more. Like, just what does that mean yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day? Like, make, they, make sure they feel it.
2: Yeah. So let me give you, okay, I'm going to say two words, and then I want to give you an analogy. So the two words are emotional connection. You have to make an emotional connection with your listener or your reader. And the reason why is, I mean, you know, back from sales one-on-one, people buy first on what?
1: On our emotions. We buy right. how we feel, and then yeah. we usually, like, rationalize after the fact exactly. why we bought. But that's not actually why we bought. We you know i didn't buy because i actually think their services are the best i bought because i like them and then i justify it by deciding that i think they must have good services
2: exactly but what we tend to do and particularly in this industry is we focus so heavily on information logic and technical you know content mm-hmm. and we discount the fact that we're actually talking to human beings who are wired to make decisions based on emotions and then back it up with logic and so that's why this focusing on how someone feels when they're listening to you or reading what it is you're, you're putting out there is is so critically important. So let me give you this analogy. I'm a real estate investor. And so the real estate industry like has this concept locked and loaded. So let's pretend, Michael, you and I are going, we're going shopping for a new home. Okay. Okay. And there are two homes. So we're driving around. Let's say I'll pretend I'm your realtor. I'm driving you around and your wife is Ellie, I think. Is that her name?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. My wife's Ellie.
2: All right. So I'm driving you and Ellie around and I said, okay, there, there's two houses for sale they're in the same exact neighborhood, they're on for the same price, and they're, they're the same inside, like the footprint inside is exactly the same, okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One of them, we drive by, the, drive by one of them, the outside hasn't been touched in like 30 years, okay? We drive by the second one, and that one has new paint, it's got window boxes it's got a beautiful teak new front door with a nice like chandelier kind of lantern out front which one are you likely to want to put an offer in on
1: the one that's dressed up well
2: yeah the one that has the curb appeal yep right so what advisors are not doing they are not packaging their information with curb appeal and that's what i help them do i teach them how how do we take this technical body of content that every other advisor has access to i mean a lot of consumers have access to some of the same information advisors have access to. And so how do we take that same footprint so you all don't sound the same, right? And how do we dress that up with curb appeal? So not only are people getting it, but more importantly, they're feeling what you're saying so that they want to take a specific action with you. Does that make sense?
1: It does. You know, It strikes me in a couple of ways, though. The the first, I, I do feel like there's been this pressure for a lot of us as advisors these days certainly I think we're all feeling more and more of that pain of differentiation and and how do yes. you how do you distinguish and stand out and and I feel like the the trend for a lot of the industry in in the past few years has been My advice is more customized, is more comprehensive. Like I'm comprehensiver than everybody else because you know, I I'm I'm a great advisor because I can find not just 18 recommendations, but 23 ways that your life is wrong and I will make (laughs) it better. And like the the plans get bigger and the stuff gets more complex. And and just we're we're trying to demonstrate more expertise, more capabilities, more service. I you know, we had I joked about this, but I, you know, I've been doing a survey for years of advisors of of how do you differentiate from from other advisors and and pretty consistently. Every time we do the survey, about seventy percent of advisors differentiate on their above-average client service, yeah. which is literally mathematically impossible for seventy percent right. right. of advisors to be above average on client service. Right. You know, we, we, I think we're we're all collectively struggling with with how do you stand out? And you just, I guess there's sort of two roads that you can go down when you get to that moment. One is, well, I'm going to find some other more more compelling more different or more comprehensive or more expert or whatever it is way way to differentiate mm-hmm. and and the other that you know I, I think perhaps sometimes we we discount too often as advisors is or you just get better at improving the curb appeal so that when clients maybe aren't sure which you know which advisor to choose like you're just going to win because you're doing a more polished job doing the same awesome thing that, okay, maybe another advisor can do as well, because it's hard to differentiate. But if you are better at communicating that value and making the connection with the prospect, you still win the business. You're the one that gets to grow. And that's not a bad way to grow and be more successful.
2: No, it's, you're absolutely right. And may I share, that brings up a client story. May I share an example of, of that action? And so, okay. One of the things I just want to take a step back. One of the things that I do want to say is that you, you have some listeners that are thinking right now, I am just, this is just not my bag. I'm just not good at this. You know, like, like I really, I really, particularly when it comes to presenting skills, like that's just not me. I, I, I I can never be good at that. And I want to tell you that you're not, you're, you're wrong. If you're thinking that about yourself, I used to think that being a good communicator and a good presenter was something that was innate. You're either born with it or you're not. And what I've learned over the years, and I think this is great news for all of us, is that it's actually a learned skill. So yes, well, some people have more natural ability, just like in in athletics, right? Some, Some people are born with more natural ability, but I can promise you the natural athlete who never trains can be surpassed by the maybe average athlete who trains. Would you agree with that, Michael? Yep. Okay. So it's the same. It's the same and what's great is there's actually a science behind becoming an emotionally compelling communicator it is not something that you have to have in order to get good at it so i just want to level the playing field like everybody can excel here and so with that for the backdrop Several years ago, I had a client named Bob, and Bob came to me because he he realized that he was in a position where he had kind of hit the ceiling, Michael, of what he could do going through other means right like he had been in the business 30 years he was he was successful but he wanted to get to the next level and he said Georgia, I know that I I I tend to not communicate as like maybe excitedly as I could right like I, like I'm not as engaging as I could be as a communicator and so this was a frontier that that he wanted to work on and you know bob and I and I and I don't mean any offense if there's any like accountants in the room or list any accountants listening but bob sort of had that stereotypical accountant personality. Okay. I think think we
1: can all, no offense to any accountants. Yeah, I think we can all visualize what we're talking about here. So a little,
2: a little drier, a little very technical, not as much, you know, emphasis on words and facial expression. And, and I tell you this because it's so exciting what happened to Bob. Okay. So, so Bob and I work on his presenting skills and his communicating skills. And about six months into our work, I get this call from him and he says, Deirdre, I have an opportunity. And he called it an audition to audition for business. And he said, this, this board of realtors in my local area, and he was in um, Colorado picked me and two other advisors and, and they narrowed it down to the, the three of us. And one of us is going to be their advisor of record. So it's the advisor for the, the, brokerage, like the, you know, the real estate brokerage company. Okay. okay. And then if they liked that advisor, they were going to you know, like let their 10,000 realtors know who their advisor was. So that's a big deal. So he says, I want to win this business. I want to nail this quote unquote audition. And what the audition was, was a 20 minute presentation. Each of these three finalists were going to give a 20 minute presentation. And from that, they were going to decide who was going to get the business. Now, I told you about kind of Bob's demeanor. And I tell you that because I want you to see that he wouldn't be like the natural winner. Right. Michael, you wouldn't think of that as being like the natural winner going against two other speakers. And so, you know, we work on the presentation and I get a call from him a couple of months later and he said, Deirdre, I got the business before I even got back to the office. The chairman of the board had left a voicemail saying we unanimously decided to go with you. And after we got done celebrating, I was like, okay, why? Why do you think he got it? He's like, it was my presentation. And I said, well, what specifically about the presentation do you think really clinched it for you? And he said, you know, it was the way I opened. I had their attention from the very first words out of my mouth. And I made that emotional connection. And so if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, what's the magic bullet? I think we always always want that magic bullet. This is the magic bullet. And I won't say it's a magic bullet because it does take work, but this is one of the best ways to differentiate yourself. You know, when I work with clients, my goal is that no other advisor will ever outspeak you. And that's what happened to Bob. They couldn't outspeak him.
1: So can you connect for us a little bit more though? Just what, like, I I hear the statement of, of, of make an emotional connection. Yeah. What does that mean? Like I, I'm just envisioning average you know, approach, talking down with, with a prospect and and saying, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself and what, what brings you to, to come to our office, and talk to us today. And I, I mean, I feel like a lot of us try to spend some time from the start building rapport with clients, asking them more about their, their situation, their circumstances, yes. you know, as, as the saying always goes, you know, the, the more, the, the more the prospect is talking in the first meeting, the more likely it is they are to become a client because they, you know, get to talk and feel heard. But I, I don't know, I I feel like you're still talking about something that is at a, a different level or a different focus or a different style than that. So can, yeah. you, can you help us understand more? Like what's what's the emotional connection part of that that we're not getting to by at least trying to ask some reasonably productive questions of, of prospects to get to know them?
2: I love this. And I love that we have time because there's, I, I'd love to break this down into several different parts if that's okay. Please, please. Okay, so let's go for the let's go for the first part. Let's go with the kind of the opening of the meeting. Okay, so the first let's say 20 to 30 minutes of your initial meeting with a prospect should be your your sole focus should be on making that emotional connection so that you can build trust and likability. So let's say you're in a meeting and whether this is virtual, if it's virtual, you've really got to, you've got to study these skills even more because it's harder to make that connection across a tech platform, but everything I'm about to share can be used virtually and can be used in a one-on-one, you know, like live situation. So let's say you sit down and you kind of have your, your nicey, nice chit chat, right? Just kind of the stuff you and I did before we started the podcast, right? Where, where are you from? Whatever it is, then it's time for you to kind of move into the official meeting. So the first thing you want to do is ask a question. Unfortunately, many advisors are asking questions that keep the prospect in their head, not get them in their heart. So they might say something like, what do you want to accomplish today? Or have you ever worked with a financial advisor? Or what brings you here today? Right? And then this gets the prospect thinking about the answers to those questions and not necessarily feeling into the answers of those questions. So I want to share a question that I learned from my mentor over a decade ago that, that I use when, when we are kind of welcoming prospects and advisors into our business and that I teach other advisor and you know, my advisor clients to use that's been very successful to do three things it gets people into their hearts it gets them exposing their gap to you and like right away and it gives you an opportunity to empathize and and your ability to empathize with your client goes a long way to building trust so the question that i recommend you ask at the beginning of every client meeting with a new you know with a new prospect is what made you want to invest the time to talk with me today? So I'll say it again. I'll say it again. What made you want to invest the time to talk with me today?
1: Okay. So the distinction here from even kind of the earlier, like what, what, what brings you to our office today is now we're actually a little bit less we're a little bit less into the, what's the issue. And we're actually, this, this angles a little bit more. What's the, what's the motivator?
0: Yes,
2: exactly.
1: Right. So there's like, why why are you here? We need to decide, you know, we, we need to decide to uh, whether we can afford to retire. What made you invest the time to talk with me today? My wife said, we need to come in. It's like, cool. Okay. That completely changes the tone of the conversation. (laughs) Having, having heard that, because I've heard that before, as I'm sure, sure. A few other advisors have as well. So yeah, just kind of thinking through and and processing that. Like I I get it. The you know, what made you want to invest the time to talk with me today starts to change the tone of the conversation because we're actually getting we're getting one step removed from the thing, the you know, the the issue, the topic, the, the the technical challenge, the financial issue, whatever it is. And and we're one step closer to the motivator, the driver, the the thing that gets someone to actually say today is the day I'm going to go meet with a financial advisor and find one, but I didn't do that yesterday yes. or the week before or the month before, which means something's going on.
2: Something's going on.
1: And the faster you can get to that, the more, the more you can make a connection around
2: that. That's exactly it, Michael. It, it definitely lends itself to people really opening up what's going on for them. And I think we can all agree that 99% of people come to see a financial advisor because there's some sort of triggering event. Now, it might be a very small trigger, but it might be a big trigger. And the, the sooner you can find that trigger and that they reveal that to you, the quicker you can start to build that, that trust and kind of move things in the direction that you want to be.
1: And so whatever, I, I'm just presuming, like whatever question, whatever response I get to that, I'm just now going to get opportunities to say tell... Tell me more about that. Tell yes. me more about that. And, and just I, I get to start asking follow-up questions and, yes. and going deeper down this road.
2: Yes. So you start going just like you would normally do. You're going to go deeper down that road. You're going to dig and help and, and you know get very specific. Right. And you're going to find what we have found. And again, this is a question that we've asked hundreds of our advisor prospects. Oh my gosh, Michael, sometimes you're like, okay, you know, like we got to move along here. Like you get a lot. You know, it's not very often that people get asked, like, what's going on in your life? Right. And have an actual place to talk about it.
1: And, and feel like someone is genuinely yeah. going to listen.
2: Yep. Exactly. So this is actually a really big gift that you're giving them. So, so that's piece one. And then, and then I purposely use the word invest because I do want to set up this, this sort of subconscious understanding that they are investing something right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and obviously that's what we want them to keep doing. Okay. That makes sense. Rather than what made you want to spend the time talking with me today you know what made you want to invest your time talking with me today it's that word is very strategically placed okay okay so then we get to part 2 so then what happens is you have a prospect who is sharing with you their hopes their dreams their challenges their concerns and you as an advisor know that you can help them solve these problems so after you feel like they're sort of done right giving you what you need to help them, at least for that meeting. Michael, what's the tendency for most advisors to do next? What are they going to jump into usually?
1: Oh, let me tell you how I can solve and fix all of that for you.
2: Yes, for yes. The,
1: for, the low, for the low, low price of 1% of your <laughs> available <laughs> investable assets.
2: Yes, exactly. So your tendency is to sell. Yep. Even though you think you're being helpful in providing solution, you're, you're not actually right there. You're actually selling because you've missed a really key point, a really, really key opportunity. And what you've missed there is the opportunity to show empathy. And the way that you're gonna show empathy is by sharing a very specific type of story. And so in my world at Crazy Good Talks, there are three stories we believe every advisor has to be equipped with. The first is what I call your why story. And Michael, we can get back to this because this is actually really an important differentiator. Your why story is why you do what you do and why you care about the person sitting across from you or the the audience or the people reading your book. The second type of story, and this is the type of story that that you're going to actually use in this scenario right now. The second type of story is what I call your desire story. And your desire story is typically a story about a client who is similar to your prospect and has gotten the same great similar results that your prospect wants. And I call it a desire story because you're telling the story, yes, to empathize, but also to create desire in the hearts and minds of the listener for those same results. And a desire story is the perfect way to sell yourself without you even smelling like you're being salesy. Because you're just sharing a story.
1: I simply demonstrating, like, yeah, funny thing. I had another client I worked with recently who had a very similar problem and here's ultimately what we did. And wouldn't you really want me to do the exact same thing for you? Except I don't have to say the last part.
2: Exactly. You and so if you, right. So if you think back to the story that I shared about Bob, I share that strategically. That's a desire story. I share that story, one, because I wanted your listeners to know, hey, you don't have to be born great at this. And if you're struggling and you're like, oh, I don't know if that could be me. No, 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 you absolutely can. I'm empathizing with the person who feels like that can't be them. I also want you to understand that I can help you. And if you take my advice, you're going to move the needle on your communication skills. And so right there, I was selling my services, my products without sounding salesy. Does that Does that make sense? Yep. Okay so that was an example of how you would use that. And then the third type of story and these are the stories that I think most advisors are very familiar with when advisors are told tell stories tell stories tell stories this is the kind of story they think they should always be telling because no one else has told them the types of stories they should tell is a story or an analogy to make a point. So you're you know you're teaching something you're teaching a concept you're teaching about you know compound interest or inflation or whatever it is and you use a story to break down the content or use a story so that the content's more memorable. So that's the third type of story. So in this situation, you're going to ask the question, what made you want to invest the time to talk with me today? They're going to, you know, they're going to open up. They're going to share what's going on in their life. You're going to, you're going to probe. You're going to ask deeper questions. You're going to know that you can help them and you're going to bite your tongue. You're going to like step on your foot. You're going to do whatever you have to do. You're not going to go into your laundry list of how you're going to help them. You're first going to say, you know what? I can understand what you're saying. In fact, what you're saying really reminds me of my client so-and-so. When so-and-so and I got, you know, first met, this is where they were fast forward to today i'm simplifying this storytelling structure because there is there is some steps to it but basically it's like a it's like that house the before and after right this is where where they were things were not great fast forward to today here's where they are things are really really good and how did this happen it happened because they went through our xyz proprietary process
1: so i do have a couple of questions just yes. sort of right, right on this so so right i'm just sort of thinking like trying to do this or, or or trying to do this on the on the on the fly like so a, do I need to start worrying about like client privacy client confidentiality as I start like telling stories about my other clients or just
0: question.
1: as long as I only use a first name and make their company generic ABC and not actually where they worked then like I'm in the clear how specific am I am I safe to get here without like breaching confidentiality illegal testimonials all that fun stuff
2: yeah so there's a couple answers so I have advisor clients that will go back to their clients and say can I share this story and if the client has said yes absolutely then you can share what they have given you permission to share so that's option one option two is you change anything that's identifying. So I would definitely change their names. I would not use their real names. And if someone, and especially if it's a small town, if let's say it was a woman, change them to a man, if they were a dentist, maybe they're a, I don't know, an an executive somewhere, right? So the story has to be true. What happened in the story has to be true. But the material facts about the character does not necessarily have to be accurate to protect client confidentiality. Okay.
1: So then the next follow-up I sort of inevitably have is- Yeah what if I don't have a client who had a similar story to the person I'm seeing across from? Like I, I get it if I'm, you know, specialized in retirement and all my clients are retirees. And, you know, at some point most clients have kind of similar retirement stories and there's a fairly similar set of issues. So at some point, almost everybody I sit across from is, is just kind of a, a rhyming repeating similarity to a, yeah, to a prior scenario, but that, that doesn't always happen. And I feel like particularly for some of our best clients, Best or biggest prospects. If you're if you're breaking into a new market, a new opportunity, I I may never have had someone in quite the same situation. I can certainly come up with the air quotes hypothetical story of a client because I want to illustrate my point. But I may not have a true story of another client that I've handled in yeah. the same situation.
2: No, that's great. So so there's there's a couple options there. I think you will find the majority of the time it doesn't have to fit exactly. So I think you will find the majority of the time in many situations if you, especially if you are relating it to financial planning in general. So I think for most clients, you can probably relate whatever it is that's going on to f- good financial planning in general.
1: Okay. Right. Okay. So
2: that can always be your fallback.
1: So I, I've just got a, you know, I, I've got a generic story of yes. just the, 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 the client I work with, who, you know, blew up their portfolio in two thousand and again in two thousand and eight. so they eventually decided to work with me. And then they wonderfully navigated the pandemic because I talked them off the ledge. And that's just sort of my generic story for any client who comes in who's having anxiety about market volatility, even though it might not quite be the same situation. Yes. and they they weren't the business owner you are or the inheritor you are, or the you know uh, retiree transition you are, like, you're here because you tend to blow yourself up with your money. And I've got stories <laughs> of people who don't blow themselves yes, up with their money. Once exactly. they work
2: with me. Yeah, absolutely. And and so even though I say there's three stories, every advisor should have, each advisor should have multiple stories of each of those three stories. Does that make sense? So because I was
1: going to say it it yeah. feels then like in practice, I'm probably going to end out with a couple of different go-to correct, desire stories for common. Like I I got my transitioning into, you know, I got my transitioning into retirement and uncertain about their lives story. I've got my you know, business owner liquidity event doesn't know what's next story. Yes. I've got my client who blows themselves up when markets get volatile. Yes. on how I talk people off the ledge story. And, and I'll yes. have three or four of these for the scenarios that crop up most often with my clientele. And by then I've got, I got my desire story for almost every prospect I'm going to sit across from.
2: Yes, absolutely. Okay. You got it. You got okay it. okay so then do you have any other anything else before I go on to the next part of this I feel like no I
1: no I think one. I I think that helps so if I'm if I'm just kind of thinking through so I've kicked off with my what made you invest the time to talk with me today. They're gonna you know talk about a problem and probably more importantly a motivator and what's driving them action. I'm I'm doing some follow up questions there and trying to get them to just tell me more and then it's at at some point I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna transition to the next stage here, which is the, you know you know what you're describing reminds me of a lot, a lot of you know, client Bob that I've worked with for many years. Bob was dot 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 and like off I go now down to my yes. down to my story. So I guess yes. just remind me once more before we move on to the next section, just where am I wrapping this story? Right? Because yes. I could sort of wrap up with this story, like and we all lived heavily ever after. I can wrap this story with. And then Bob became my client, and we did all this awesome stuff because I'm totally awesome. And I'm basically going to show so you how awesome not I am. Where Where does this story end? <laughs> so I don't maybe get a little too far back into, but I really just want to show you how awesome I am, so you'll you'll work with me.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Where do I have to rein myself in on this story so I don't I don't I don't blow too far past?
2: Yeah. So this particular storytelling type has a framework called the Then Now How storytelling framework. Okay. OK, so what you know, you have to imagine the story as if it's in three separate parts or three separate buckets. Advisors do a lot of illustrations with buckets. So I think buckets might relate here. OK, okay. so yes. so we've got three buckets. So we've got the then bucket and in the then bucket, you're going to give some details and you're going to give some emotions about how the character was feeling before they worked with you. Like the like when they came in, What what was the problem? Right, and and what did they, what were some of the things they were saying to you? You know, they
1: so you know Bob Bob had come in because he he was really struggling with retirement. He's made a few bad investment decisions over the years. He felt awful after they sold out at the bottom of the financial crisis. Then he didn't participate in those recovery. It actually even really stressed his marriage because they had to work longer, and his wife held a grudge about it for a really long time. It was really awkward for them as a couple because it's really stressful if you're the one who's responsible for the money in the family, and you, you accidentally make a bad decision in the markets.
2: Yes. And Bob, one of the things that Bob said to me, and you always want to add some dialogue from the client. One of the things that Bob said to me is Michael, I literally lie awake for an hour every night. Like I cannot fall asleep because my mind is racing because this, I I'm so stressed out about money. So you got to give us some emotion. You can't just like, one of the things that I find advisors doing when they tell stories is they narrate the story and they're just going down the facts of the story. I mean, that's better than not telling a story, but it's not really telling a story. You have to actually give some emotions and let us get a feeling for who the character is. You've okay. got to see the character's humanity.
1: So that, so that's the the big piece of like. And Bob said to me, "I'm up at night. I can't even sleep because I'm so stressed about the money now and the fact that we've had to work three extra years to make up for the the fact that I panicked in the financial crisis." Yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then, so that's the then bucket, and the only thing that goes in the then bucket is the then. You don't want to talk okay. about the now or the how there. You have to think of these as three totally separate buckets. Okay. Okay. So then we're then the way that you move them to today or last year or whatever that, you know, whenever that you're talking about the now is you would just simply say, fast forward. So like you might start the story saying, that reminds me of my client, Bob. Five years ago, Bob and his wife, Sally, came in and sat down in those very chairs. And I'll never forget the look on Bob's face. It was one of total discouragement. And Sally looked angry. Right. And as we get to talking, Bob says to me, basically, I'm here because I I am so stressed out about money. I cannot, I cannot even sleep at night. And here's why. And then you go through a couple of those details that you talked about, Michael. Right. Then you'd say fast forward three years later, or fast forward to today, if this just changed recently. Okay. So let's just say fast forward three years later. Fast forward three years later. I have a meeting with Bob and Sally. They come in, they sit down, they are grinning from ear to ear. In fact, they're holding hands and they look like newlyweds and i said so what's what's going on life looks really good for you and sally is like oh my gosh we just came back from the best vacation and then bob said i'm actually sleeping better at night blah 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 and then you talk a little bit about where they are now okay okay so now now the key thing here and this is the mistake that a lot of advisors make is what they want to do in the now is they want to insert themselves and in, they want to insert themselves you are only a guide and an observer at this point in the story you are not the solution in fact if I can even smell that you were the solution, you're selling.
1: Okay, so I got I got I to resist the, the the temptation. You know, fast forward three years later, and you know we made a bunch of changes in Bob and Sally's portfolio, and then they came back in and they were grinning ear to ear, holding hands, looking at glee weds. Like, I got that. I made changes to their portfolio thing in there, and now I've I've tainted my story because everything is about how great this is going because of my portfolio changes.
2: 100% you have totally taint. I love how you just said that. It's like such a great way to say that. You have totally tainted your story. Okay. Or you'll say something like, in our meetings together, we discovered that blah, blah, blah. No.
1: Right. Like we discovered that they weren't well diversified. So, you know, we, we helped them make changes on the spot. Fast forward three years later and they're grinning ear to ear. But I've inserted myself from the story, which now basically means everything that's happening is just really about how awesome I was.
2: <laughs> exactly. And it's not time yet for that. We're not okay. there. We're, we're totally not there yet. Okay. So you got to resist that. And again, you're just the observer. You're just reporting on what you saw and what you experienced. And I can give, when I'm done explaining this, I think it might help if I share one of my stories, Michael, because okay. I think this will actually clearly demonstrate, you know what I mean? Like, I think it'll help. Yeah instead of talking in like generalities. Okay. So then what happens is you're going to tell the then, you're going to tell the now, and they're going to be looking at you and they're actually going to be really curious. And they're going to be thinking, well, how did this happen? I and mean, that's likely what they're thinking. Okay.
1: Because I've created, a, I've kind of created a gap here. Like five yeah. years ago, Bob and Sally came in. I'll never forget the buck on Bob's face. He was totally discouraged. Sally looked angry. He said, I'm you know, up at night and I can't sleep about money. Fast forward three years later, and they came back to my office. They're grinning ear to ear, holding hands, looking like newlyweds. Sally said they came back from vacation. Bob says, I'm sleeping better at night. So like, I've now opened a kind of a curiosity gap, like what the heck happened in three years?
2: <laughs> exactly. So then you'd say something like, and I don't like to get overly prescriptive because I want people to be, you got to say what's natural to you, right? You want it to sound sure but you might say something like so you know you might you might be wondering how this change happened or you might say something like pretty dramatic change huh and they're going to be like yeah so if you're wondering how this happened you can do this one of two ways michael you can say if you were to ask bob and sally they would tell you it was implementing the nerds eye view blueprint okay okay i'm just i'm, I'm naming a process for you sure sure or you might say are you if you're wondering how this happened it was learning the nerd's eye view blueprint or applying the nerd's eye view blueprint to their financial situation. Okay. And then you'd say something, and that is the same exact process that I would take you through. Would you like, and this is where you get permission now to quote unquote sell. Would you like to walk through what that process looks like?
1: For which, of course, the natural answer at this point is like, yes, I like I want to be happy. Like Bob and Sally, I want to know what you like. Okay. Tell me more about the, about the mystery magic, but yes, but that's the point, right? Like now you've drawn me in I'm like, okay, I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell me what comes next in the story. Like I
2: exactly. And if someone says no, well then great. You just saved yourself another 45 minutes.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> well, exactly that's cool. Then. Just, Thanks for coming in. Yeah.
2: I life. once had someone like that when, cause this is the process we use when we, we do, we, we call our appointment strategy sessions. And the guy was like, no. And I was like, well, okay, is there anything else I can do for you? <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm like, all right, well, it's great to meet you, you know? Yeah, uh, if you're interested in connecting, I'm here for you. I mean, it was like the weirdest, it was weird, but uh, okay. I was happy I got a half hour of my life back and went on to do something else.
1: I do feel like I, I have to ask though, just like, right, I'm, I'm like, I'm channeling my, my inner, my inner non salesperson, my inner non-salesy person that I still feel like as an advisor, this, this, was, this was kind of a, a setup like I, I knew where I was going with the story. I knew where we were coming down to. I'm setting it up to, would you like me to walk you through what that process looks like? But yes. like, that was the sale. I was like, I was leading them there yes. with us with like a progression where it was only going to end one place. And I mean, I'm, I'm asking your permission to be cordial, but like, we we all know I would I'm expecting you to say yes so that I can then begin talking about all the things that I actually do that are supposed to be so awesome because I'm going to sell you. It, it, I feel like it's sort of this giant lob of like, so now I'm going to sell you things. Okay. Is that just, that's how the game is played. That's how this is supposed to work. Like we just, we'd need to accept that or say that that's okay. That's natural. Or am I, am I reading too much into it?
2: I think you're reading too much into it, but let me ask you this. What's the alternative
1: Well, I just start talking about all the awesome things that we do and hope you realize I'm awesome and sign up.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you're having a meeting because you're hoping it's going to result in the prospect taking action to work with you. So we can either do this in the way that's going to be engaging and in the best interest of the prospect, or we can do it in the way we've always done it, which can tend to be boring and not get you what you want and not really be in the best interest of the prospect.
1: Like, I love how you framing that, that like, look, we're, we're not trying to sell people something they don't want or or need, right? There's a whole other version of pushy sales which is not not what we're not not, we're, not we're what we're trying about. to do here, but that doesn't mean you can't acknowledge along the way that this does still go better when you make it a more comfortable, natural, engaging, interesting journey for them. Like we sure. all get it. They came to your office because they're here to learn about your services. Right. And you took the meeting because you want to tell them about it, and we all know that we're trying to figure out if we're going to get to doing business together at the end. So there is sort of this overarching pretense and context the whole meeting that we we all know why we're here. So let's get over that and then just say, okay, are we going to do this in an interesting, engaging way that makes people enjoy the journey and ultimately getting there and makes their decision-making process easier? Or are we going to just start hitting them with a whole bunch of facts and details and hope logic prevails?
2: And to me, I think that's salesy. Like, here, here's the thing. <laughs> I believe... If you really believe, and most of the advisors, I would say all the advisors I work with do believe this, and I believe your listeners are this type of advisor, Michael, if you really believe that what you're offering is in the best interest of the person or person sitting across from you, then I think you have an obligation to learn how to be as persuasive, inspiring, and compelling as possible. And let me tell you why. Let me just actually share a little bit of my story, if I could. Sure. Okay. So... When I was 10 years old, my mom was killed in a car accident. Oh, God. And yeah, this is actually my why of why I work in this industry. So my dad, he almost died also. He didn't, thank God. He was out in the hospital for quite a while and out of work for many months. And the, like other than my dad not dying, obviously, the, the only other silver lining in our story was that we were not impacted financially by my mom dying and my dad being out of work. We were a pretty broken family, Michael. You know, and I cannot imagine what it would have been like to heap financial devastation on top of our already really fragile broken family. Like I, I I don't know how people do it, and yet you and I both know there are so many people, countless people, that that happens to all the time. Right, right. Many Americans are one tragedy away from total financial devastation, and they need the help of your listeners. So if you're listening right now, they need your help. There are countless people in your community that need your help. And, and what they need you to do, if you really believe in what you're doing, they need you to be compelling as a communicator. They need you to be inspiring and persuasive. And here's why. Most people don't want to have these conversations. Most people would rather do a lot of other things and sit in your office and plan for the future or talk about what happens when I die or if I need long-term care or any of the other things that that you are great at helping with. And so the more compelling you are, the more you can tap into their emotions and get them feeling something, the greater the likelihood you can get people to have planning conversations and make planning decisions today that they would rather put off for someday. And I shudder to think about some of the people that have put it off for some day have had a situation like mine and they've never come back from it.
1: I think to me, part of what that emphasizes that ironically, we know deep down as advisors in the work we do with clients, but sometimes I'll just call it like the, the non-sales oriented advisor forgets or leaves behind in the, in the sales processes. Look, we we've all had clients where they're not in a good place and situation. They need to make changes. We know what they need to do. They know what they need to do. We have told them what they need to do. They've heard what they need to do. And then they don't do it. Right. And we have to nudge them or control them or convince them or do whatever it is we can to figure out how to get them over the line from knowing what to do to actually doing it because the knowing part alone isn't always enough. And the same thing is true when the moment of change we're trying to create is not get your will done or buy your long-term care insurance, or it's time to pull the trigger on retirement or stay in the market or whatever those sort of client level decisions are. The same thing crops up when it's, you know, you really need to stop doing all of this yourself and hire a professional to help you with it. And I am the great professional that can solve all of that for you, but Mm -hmm. you still need to actually make a change and take action and do this. Hopefully with me, hopefully starting today. Right. And even the same context, you can be the right answer. You can know you're the right answer. They can know you're the right answer. You still have to perhaps sell them, air quotes, sell them, sell them to get them to take action. And it's not because you're being salesy. It's just because human beings, even when they know what to do, sometimes need a little extra nudge or a gentle kick in the pants to move forward and take the action and do it. And if you don't, in the most positive way of ways, do those things to help get people across the line there will be folks who absolutely need your help and know they need your help and would have readily pay for your help and are going to walk out of your office without your help.
2: Exactly. And that's a tragedy. And it could be a real tragedy waiting to happen. That's why I work in this industry.
1: So I'm building up this story. I'm kind of going through my my then, now, how. I get to the, I guess what was sort of the, the, the culminating moments, which is would you like to walk through what that process looks like? My, you know, whatever my my advisor firm's process about how you can be financially awesome. Like, w- would you like me to walk through that? What that process looks like? So, what comes next?
2: Yeah, and actually, we need to stop here because this is a really key point. So, okay. the first thing is notice how you didn't say, "Oh, I, Michael, I'm awesome." You said the nerd's eye view blueprint, right? Okay. So you're not sitting there patting yourself on the back, which feels awkward and can sound arrogant and awkward.
1: It's not about me. It's about our process.
2: It's about your process. And it needs to be about your process. And you said this in the opening of the podcast about how advisors, you know, you're offering something intangible, right? So when you're in a business that that sells air, promises, dreams, you have to make what you have as tangible as possible. And you do that by having a process. You also want to be able to show people something step by step, because that makes it more tangible. And so when you have a process, people aren't thinking, well, I hope I get Michael on a good day. It's like, no, like everybody gets this. This is how we do things. And so when we're talking about differentiation, there's actually three main ways for an advisor to differentiate themselves. And I'll tell you, we can talk about the other two in a little bit, but one of the main ways is to have, and every advisor already has a process, but what you need to do if you haven't done it yet is you just need to call it something. Okay. So your process is your way of doing business.
1: I guess just like how, how fancy do I need to be, or do I not need to be with this? I mean, just, I mean, you had sort of said like the, the nerd's eye view blueprint, but I yeah. mean, like it's, it's the, it's the name of my business and the word blueprints at the end. So, I mean, does that really cut it? Like totally the Smith wealth management blueprints. You, like, yeah.
2: You could, what I would prefer, like best when I'm working with my clients on we call this your crazy good signature system. So when I'm working with my clients on, on, on naming and setting up their crazy good signature system, sort of the best case scenario is name it a name that your clients want. So name it something outcome driven So I'm making this up. And obviously you have to go, you know, different companies have different levels of compliance, but if you know, all your clients come in and they sit down and they say, I just want financial independence. It could be financial independence roadmap. I had one client who specializes in working with women going through divorce. And I was like, Michelle, what, what do clients say? Like, what, what, what does everybody say when they sit down and they say, I just want to move forward with my life. So she was calling it the move forward with your life blueprint. Okay. Right. I mean, use their words. So
1: you really can't be too on the nose with this. Just because it's literally what they've said they want. It's like, what they said they want. But just the just call it that. Don't don't get too caught up in your head. Well, okay? and here's the,
2: here's the other thing though, Michael. Sometimes I get clients who are stuck, and they're like, "I can't come up with the name." I'm like, you know what? Then just call it the Smith and Wesson, whatever you said. Yeah, Sorry, Smith Smith, Smith Wealth
1: Management. Like- <laughs> your
2: Smith Smith Wealth Management. You know, roadmap. Like, I'd rather you call it something imperfect than wait five months to find the perfect name. You will get better results taking imperfect action. And you can rename it later on.
1: So, failing anything else, if you're stuck, firm name blueprint or firm name roadmap. You get a choice. Yes, exactly.
2: exactly. That's a choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like when I started this part of my business, my speaking and presentation and communication program was called the Speak and Get Results Blueprint. And I liked that name, Michael, but I didn't love it. And it was that name from 2011 until I think 2015 when I landed on the Crazy Good Talks blueprint, which I love. And then I just, I rebranded everything. Okay. But I didn't wait. I would have waited four years.
1: Right. Four years of not growing as well because you couldn't exactly. just talk about what you
2: did. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And I'll talk about how fantastic the blueprint is all day long and the great results it gets, but I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm the best speaking coach and speaker and blah, blah, blah. Like, no. Right. Yuck.
1: Right. Because that's the whole point now as, as you're articulating, right? Like, I don't, I don't actually have to make a decision about whether I think you're a good speaker or coach. I have to look at your blueprint and decide if I believe the blueprint is a process that would get me an outcome, yes. which is presumably can be pretty straightforward because you know, the process is, probably going to be kind of self-evidently useful at that point, right? Like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to teach you about talking and we're going to teach you about how to frame a script and we're going to teach you about how to have good stage presence and whatever else it is. Like it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward to start saying steps of a process that are likely to be self-evidently. Yeah. That's probably going to be useful. That pretty much seems to cover what I would need. Yes. But then I, then my process basically sells itself because I've said, I have a process. You have to evaluate the process the way you're going to evaluate the process looks the steps, of the process, which are going to pretty obviously pertain to what you do since that's the process. And now I'm just going to sell myself like, well, yeah, I guess those look like all the steps I would need to take. So let's go ahead and get started.
2: Yeah. And they know that you're the genius behind the process. Like that's not lost on people. So don't worry. You're not getting left out. People sometimes worry, like sometimes advisors are like, but I want them to know. I I'm like, they know you don't have to tell them.
1: They are talking to you. And I, I guess, particularly for all those advisors where like, it's, it's, you know, it's the Smith Wealth Management Blueprint and you're Smith. Like, <laughs> they're going to figure out it was exactly. it, it was yours. Or maybe you didn't put your name in, in your firm name, but they they are usually quite familiar that they're talking to owner, founder, partner, key advisor, whatever it is. So they, they're they going to figure out it's you. And I guess for those who maybe aren't in the owner, leader, founder position, I suppose this in many ways help, helps more because you've got like you've got a thing of the firm that you can sell that represents the firm overall. So the pressure's off that like, you don't have to sell how super awesome, amazing, special you are, although it's totally wonderful. You're, you're super awesome, amazing, special, just like, It's the, it's the financial independence roadmap. And you came to us for financial independence. Like exactly.
2: Yeah. Why would you
1: not want me to walk you through this process?
2: Yes. And so here, and here's the thing. So you've got that. So now this, this is doing, this has done three things for you. One actually really four. So First of all, the whole story allows you to show that empathy, right? It allows you to show the great results people get, but then it allows you to sort of tell about you without telling about you. And it shows this tangible process where your service before was completely intangible. And then but there's more, Michael. It sets you apart from enemy, every other advisor because I guarantee you, let's say they're, they're, they're going between you and somebody else, your competition doesn't have the blueprint or the roadmap. And let me give you a story from my life. Now, I got a very compelling, this was, let's say, I didn't have any kids in college yet, so this was probably four years ago. My daughter's a sophomore in high school, now she's a sophomore in college. I get this very compelling invitation in the mail, and, and I'm saying very compelling because usually these are not very compelling, but this one was right. invitation from an advisor inviting me to a seminar about college planning, okay? And I was, I've never, ever gone to one of those seminars that I randomly get in the mail, ever. But I went to this one because I thought, I need to see the advisor who, who is behind putting this out. I was that impressed. Now, I've been working, my husband and I have been working with our advisor, Eric, for a long time. And we are 100% loyal to him. OK? So I didn't go thinking, I'm going to switch advisors. That, that's not why I went. I wanted to see what this guy was doing. So I go. And I'm sitting in the audience and listen to the presentation. And you know, it's pretty good. And blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, he talks about the college planning blueprint, and for the next 45 minutes, he he references the college planning blueprint. And he's like, and this is step one and step two and five and eight. And I'm like, oh, you know what's going through my head? And I know what he's doing, Michael. Like, I teach this stuff. Yeah,
1: right? yeah, yeah. Like, I know exactly what's coming in the sequence.
2: <laughs> but you know what I'm feeling in my heart? oh my gosh, I got to call Eric tomorrow. Nope. I got to text him right. At, nope. I got to text him now and make sure he has the college planning blueprint. What if Eric does not have the college planning blueprint? He's never mentioned the college planning blueprint. We have two kids going into college. I need the college planning blueprint. That's what I was thinking. So then I talked to Eric the next day, do you have the college planning blueprint? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, listen. And then he's like, well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we're going to take you through the steps. I'm like, but you didn't, you didn't tell me that and it's not packaged that way. And imagine if I was any old client and I I didn't teach this and I also wasn't didn't know enough to be loyal, he might have won me over. Right? Right? Yeah. So that's what you can do when you start branding. I promise you you will win business from your competitors and and as I was listening to your Bill Bacharach podcast, he was saying steal or rescue clients. <laughs> yep. Right? From other advisors. Because, again, it's kind of like being a great speaker. You're going to see more put together and more competent.
1: So out of curiosity, like, I want to jump back to the, the sales process. Right. But first, yeah. I'm wondering, what what are what are my other two ways to differentiate besides name my process?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the other two ways. And I'm going to add in a little bonus to this process that I just walked you through. That's a bit controversial. And okay. it's, for the, it's not for the faint of heart. But, man, if you want to add gasoline on everything, this will do it. So the first is the way to the first way to differentiate yourself is that and, and these are not in any specific order, okay is the is the process. The second is knowing strategically crafting and then sharing what I call your why story. telling people why you do what you do and why you care about them. Okay. Nobody else can have a why story like yours. Nobody. nobody. that'll differentiate you. And then the third, and this is my one wish for this entire industry, Michael, if I, if I have a, if you were to say, and I might say this at the end when you asked me about success, right? You know, if you were to say like, if you had like one wish for the industry, what would it be? And it would be that, that people in this industry would stop trying so hard to prove themselves and start being themselves. Okay. The more you are yourself, the more you will attract the right clients to you. You will differentiate you by being you. Because people are buying you. And I've had to learn this too. Listen, I'm in a, I'm in a different business in the sense like, like what I do is different than you, but I have to build my business exactly the same way that you do. I have the same goals, the same challenges. I don't say this lightly. Stop trying to prove yourself and start being yourself. I learned through the school of hard knocks. It's taken me quite a long time to learn how to be myself. It's really only been the last few years that I, that I finally feel like I'm coming into my own and being myself. And I cannot tell you how much more enjoyable and how much more fun I'm having and how much easier it is to drive business and help more people and have a bigger impact on people's lives. It's very hard to be yourself. I know that's so contra, like it counterintuitive, right? Funny,
1: I think the is for, for so many of us is, is something effective, you know, look, I, I know I'm not for everyone. I'm not going to get along for, I'm not going to get along with everyone. because just, you know, human beings are human beings. You don't get along with everyone i'm not exactly swimming in prospects and growth so i need to figure out how to stay middle of the road enough to you know to be able to connect with almost anyone and not to piss off or upset anyone right so you know never talk about politics politics or religion you know middle of the road and everything certain level of conservatism and dress language and anything and everything else just because we're trying to like we uh, there's a lot of pressure i think on us advisors to just yeah stay as middle of the road as you can because you're never quite sure who you're talking to, what their context is, what their background is, and you don't want to step on a landmine and and blow up an opportunity. So so you don't, which means you usually inevitably end up cramming down a couple of parts of being ourselves because just if we are ourselves, some people will like us and some people don't, right? That's just sort of the reality of of life. But we don't feel like we have that luxury when we're still growing the business. So I I can't take the chance that I do my thing and someone doesn't like my thing. So I'm going to be as kind of plain vanilla, middle of the road, relatively conservative and all the stuff that I do just, but not too conservative, just so I can kind of thread that needle.
2: You're a great example of that. Like we were talking about how your podcast crushes it and you've gone against every, anyone who's anyone a podcast who would tell you you're insane for doing a 90 minute podcast. I mean, it's insane. And you were like, no, like, this is me. This is what I want to do. And I'm doing it. And, and I like
1: learning out on things. I can't yeah. get anything said in five minutes. So yeah. we're just not going to do a short podcast. Yeah,
2: yeah, yep. it, exactly. And, and you know what? And, and it's that, because it's exactly what you said. But also, I think the industry has really, for many decades, was very much about being professional. And being professional meant not being human. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think we are hopefully, you can be very professional and very human at the same time. And that's the message I'm really trying to get across to people. And I think that the pandemic has actually helped people open up to that reality, which makes me really, really happy
1: so now take me take me back into our our sales process a little okay. bit more. we've We've kind of set this up of like, you know what would, would would you like to walk through what that process looks like? So presumably, I've gone down the 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 process road here of at least one of my one of my differentiators. So is there anything particular that just comes next in this journey as I'm setting up my well, I've kind of set up to talk about my process, so I'm 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 talking about the you know the financial independence roadmap, the move forward with your life blueprint. I uh, just kind of walk them through, and and then what?
2: Yeah, so you know I think your listeners probably have their their way of doing that. So I, again, I don't want to be overly prescriptive here, but I think you know in general you're gonna you're gonna kind of take them through it at a sixty thousand foot view and find out where they have questions, and you might pay particular attention to some areas of gaps that they've already identified okay and you know from there i i always you know when we, when we're having a strategy session you know ask the question that needs to be asked to to move to the next step whether that's in some situations in in my world that's going to be like hey i i would love to work with you and and to help you hit those goals and i feel confident we can do that would you like to move forward right or if it's a, if it's maybe a corporate situation I'm in where I know they're not ready to make a decision, it could be like, you know what? Again, I would love to work with you. I'd love to help your, I would love to train your advisors. I feel really confident we can do great work together. What's the next step we need to take to move towards that goal, right? So just being, make sure you, you, you ask and being genuine. I mean, that's part of being yourself. Like for me, I'm like, I would love it. This would be awesome. This would be exciting to help you, right? Do you want to do that? Let's do it together.
1: Well, and I've, I've always been struck in our world. I think it had first hit home for me reading Beverly flaxington's book on on marketing many years ago, where she just she just drills home, I think very well the point that for a lot of a lot of advisors, we talk a lot about what we do and the good work that we do, and you know just sort of hope like so it should really be obvious that you would you would want to work with me and that I'm going to do great stuff for you. And we just never actually get to the part of saying, so I would love to work with you to meet these goals and I'm confident that I can help you. Are you ready to move forward? Yeah. Like just that, that, that moment right in the sales world, that moment where you ask for the business. We just don't ask because that's the scariest moment of the entire process because that's the moment that they can say no to you. And so, so often I see advisors just, we never actually ask the question at that moment. Cause it's the scariest moment to ask it. Cause like, what if they say, no, and we built all this up and then we get denied and that really sucks and feels awful. So I'm just not gonna put myself in that position. And the reality is if you don't ask that question, then if they did want to hire you and move forward, they otherwise get to the end of the meeting. And they're like, I'm not actually sure what happens next. And so what? they just kind of wander out of your office because uh, yes. you were sort of hoping they would say, oh my gosh, this sounds so awesome. Can we start working together now? But they're not sure if that's what they were supposed to do yet because they were waiting for you to ask. And I'm almost envisioning it of like going all the way back to what perhaps which will just be my my own terrible days of high school of like- Dating. Right. Yes. <laughs> like all the dates that never <laughs> happened because I was too shy to ask and the and the other person was too shy to ask. And so we, we never asked and the date never happened. And that- yes. I think that 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 happens a lot in in advisor world, and I I find or I think particularly amongst just as you put it the, the A plus professional who might might be a B minus speaker because we 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 balk at that exact moment and just kind of like the dating analogy like if no one ever actually asks in the moment then the date never happens and the connection never happens and and just the practical reality is. If you're the advisor and you have someone, something to sell and, and like, you're the one with the great professional services that really, really helps the clients. Like it's on your shoulders.
0: It is. Like It,
1: it is, it is on your shoulders.
0: Okay. So
2: imagine it's like having them come over to your house and people are sitting in your living room. You never ask them if they want something to drink. Like that's terrible. You wouldn't do that. It's the same. You like, you're the host. You have to move the meeting forward. It's terrible for a prospect to not know what to
1: do. And, and just don't don't underestimate that it may seem obvious. Well, uh, if if you wanted to move forward, you just have to say, let's start working together. Like it's not that obvious to them. You you have to, you have to say it. They're going to be like, well, I was sort of assuming there must be something else in the process. Cause ironically, all the rest of the process you were doing so well. So I assume there was some step in the process. And if you hadn't asked me, then clearly something else was coming. So I was just waiting for the something else. And then I left and then nothing had happened. And then my life got busy. And then I never called you back. We never worked together again.
2: And people like to be invited to things. So just think about you're inviting them into your world, right? And so here, here's the thing. And I'm talking from someone, Michael, back in 1990, no, 2001, I actually quit a business that I love because I couldn't sell my way out of paperback. I was terrified when it got to this place in the quote unquote sales call, I would freeze and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say anything. I would literally just leave. It was terrible. And I realized, but I knew like God had put this dream in my heart to be an entrepreneur and to help people. And I knew I would have to get good at this and I'd have to get okay with this for this to move forward. And so I'm not saying this as someone on an ivory like pedestal who likes sales and these conversations have always been easy. This was incredibly painful and difficult for me. I had to learn to move past it. And what's really helped me is when you come into a meeting, and I want to give you the mindset. I'm going to give you the mindset in a moment that I recommend having coming into any meeting with any human being in a professional setting. But before I go there, when you actually spend the time getting to know people on a heart to heart level, like you're, you're hearing their story, you're empathizing with them, right? It becomes a different type of meeting. It becomes way easier to genuinely get excited to help them and say from love, I really want to help you. This would be so great to do this together. Would you like to do that? Versus, so you want to work with me? You know what I mean? Right. It comes from a different place. So, can I share the mindset that really freed me? That one sure, of the please. Okay. One of my mentors taught me years ago. First of all, what I recommend when you go into any meeting with anybody, you see them as a human being first and a prospect second. I know that might sound like, well, duh, but so often w- we're not doing that, right? We're going into a meeting and we're thinking, okay, I got to, I got to get this right. And you know, what's going to happen? What if they say yes? What if they say no? Like, I want to give you permission to go in and be like, I'm just meeting with like two other human beings. And I really just want to spend some time getting to know these human beings. And the way that you, you detach yourself from being sort of uh, restricted by the outcome is this mindset. And the mindset is, and I'll give my, one of my mentors, Lisa Sasevich, the credit for this because it changed my world. The mindset is you're committed but not attached committed, but not attached.
1: So what what does that mean?
2: So what that means is you are 100% committed to helping these fellow human beings find the solution they need to make their life better. And you are not attached if it includes you or not.
1: Okay. I'm hundred percent committed to seeing that you get to a better place, a better outcome. I'm not attached to the fact that it has to be me.
2: Correct. So I'll, I'll have situations, you might think this is crazy, but I'll have situations when I'm listening to people and I don't feel like we are the, like, I know that we could help them, but we are not the thing they need right now. I will recommend, like, I will make connections for them with maybe a competitor or a strategic partner. And I'll be like, Michael, I, you know what? I see how I can help you, but you really need to get your operations set first from everything you right. said. Let me connect you with Andrea because that's what she does. And I might never help you, Michael, but I, I like, I mean, of course, what I love to, yes, but at the end of the day, I want to make sure you get what you need. That's my highest priority whenever I talk to any prospect. And that takes so much pressure off of me feeling like I have to do everything perfectly and impress you. I'm not worried about impressing you.
1: I'm just trying to be helpful.
2: I'm just trying to love you.
1: So Deirdre, this is very one-to-one. When we got started, we were actually even talking a little bit different context about like the the one to many format, right? The public speaking. Bob had to go in front of his real estate investor board to to make his make his case. So, can you share for a few minutes at least? Like, how does this start changing, and when we're in a little bit more of a a public speaking context than the the one to one prospect that we've been talking about?
2: So, let me to think. Like, I want to do some. It's a big topic, obviously, right? So, I want to see if I can at least pull out some kind of like useful nuggets in a short amount of time. So the first thing is when you're getting up to present in front of people, I would encourage you to have the same mindset. You're committed to speaking passionately. Well, first of all, you're committed to preparing. I really hope you're committed to preparing. Too many people wing it. I do not recommend that. Secondly, you're committed to speaking passionately and you're committed to connecting with people. I always tell my clients, let's go for connection and not perfection. Right? Be as good as you can be, prepare, but you're really, if, if you, if your speech is perfect and you connect with no one, it meant nothing. So be committed to that, but be unattached again to how they receive it. Like you can't make people like you or not like you, right? So if you go in with this mindset, like I'm here to love people and I'm here to give them a gift, that's going to help with the nerves and any hesitance you have about speaking. In terms of making it emotionally connecting, yeah, I mean, a big part of speaking is is knowing how to tell great stories, knowing where to strategically place them, right? And so you're still going to use the why story, the desire story, the story to make a point. That's one of the ways you're gonna you're gonna add curb appeal to your content. You're going to hopefully use what I call my CETA formula, C-E-T-A. I'll run through it super quickly. And basically what you do, and actually I was working with a group of wholesalers just this week. What we did was we took one of their compliance approved sales pieces, right? Ones that they they might deliver a presentation on a webinar or even talk one-on-one to an advisor. And it's just basically the facts, right? And we blended this CETA formula into the sales piece. And it really brings it to life, brings it to life. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to add that curb appeal, that that, that coat of paint, that beautiful teak door, the landscaping. So the C and CETA means you want to be conversational. First of all, you want to make sure you speak like you speak when you're speaking. You don't want to speak like you write. You don't want to use industry jargon, please. I, I promise you, if you're speaking directly to consumers, they're not saying things like liquidity they're saying things like when my husband lost his job a few years ago i came home and i said peter if we need access to cash where are we getting it i didn't say oh i hope we have enough liquidity in our portfolio right so right. you got to watch they're not even saying comprehensive financial plan don't say that what does that mean so so use the words your clients use no no jargon okay talk as if you're talking like michael and i are talking today like like you're sitting across from a good friend having a cup of coffee. That's how you want the feel and the sound to be. And you wanna use the word you. You don't wanna put them in a group. You don't wanna say things like everybody, how many of you, anybody. You wanna use the word you, you, you. You wanna make people feel like you're talking just to them. One of the ways to do that is to use the singular you. Okay, so that's the C for conversational. E, you want to give people an experience. You don't want this to be a lecture. So hopefully today you felt in this podcast, this was an experience, right? Michael and I were talking. We stopped. He asked me questions. I tell you a story. I give you an analogy. I might say something directly to you, ask you a question, right? Like it's an experience. So you want to use anchors when you're speaking to anchor the content. That means you're throwing in stories. You're throwing in analogies. Maybe you have a video. Maybe you have props. You're doing an activity, Okay. Make it experiential. The T is get people thinking about themselves. Ask them questions to get them thinking about their own life. Right? So you might be telling a story about when when you were five years old and you could say, has that ever happened to you? Like, did you ever have your, your, your brother steal your cookie and it was the last one in the jar? Well, how did that feel? right? Or instead of spoon feeding them all the information, if you have maybe some facts or some statistics you want to share, instead of saying, and I'm making this up, I don't know what the number is offhand, you know, 50% of Americans file for divorce, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's, I'm just thinking of whatever I can think of. You could say to them, so how many Americans every year do you think file for divorce? What percentage? Just call it out. Oh, 50%, 40%, 80%. Yes, it's 50%. Do that so you don't create lazy listeners, don't spoon feed your audience everything. Get them to actually participate in the content. And Michael, that's one, of my, that's one of my secret weapons is asking what I call these thinking questions where they're actually kind of creating the content with me. I will do presentations where I don't let them ask me a single question. And afterwards they'll say, oh my gosh, that was so interactive. And it's interactive because I'm asking them questions and having them answer the questions I want them to answer,
1: Right.
2: right? So I'm leading them down this path. And then finally, I don't think our presentation should be a big theoretical conversation. I think every time someone's in our presence, they should get something that will make their life better. Give them a tangible application, a tangible tool that they can use and apply to their life, whether or not they ever lay eyes on you again. That's the A. So I know today, for example, if you never, if you never hear me again or see me again, hopefully you will start using that question, you know, what made you want to invest the time to talk with me today? Hopefully, you'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I need to tell these three different storytelling types, right? So so give people tangible things they can do to make their life better. and And so you're weaving this seed of formula throughout all of your content to create this rich emotional kind of sensory experience for people. You will be memorable. They will choose you over their phones if you do that. I promise you
1: so I hear you, it it sounds wonderful, but if I like if I'm the average advisor who's, doesn't like public speaking or has never done public speaking. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like the famous survey was like, uh, the average person is more afraid of public speaking than death, which means yes. we'd actually rather be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. Yep. So like, this is terrifying. I've never done any of this. I mean, the, like the picture you're painting sounds wonderful, but I don't know that I can do the awesome thing that you're describing. Like, where do I, where do I start?
2: Well, you start with saying, okay, I'm terrified of it, but I'm more terrified of not getting the results that I want by avoiding doing it than I'm terrified of doing it. And I speak from someone with experience. If you can believe this, Michael, I used to be terrified to speak. That might sound insane. And it was not that long ago. In fact, I had a very bad experience in my high school acting class with my ninth grade teacher who basically called me out in front of the whole class and told me I stunk. And I left the stage for 24 years. Oh, yeah. No public speaking, no acting, no nothing. (laughs) I, in fact, when I got my master's degree, end of my first year, I had a group of my colleagues, my classmates come up to me and say, Hey, you want to run for president this year for next year? And my only question,
1: do I have to give a speech?
2: Yes. That's all I asked. Do I have to give a speech? And they said, Well, probably. And I'm like, Nope, I'll run for vice president. And, And that's what happened. I ran for vice president. And then, you know what happened? Irony of irony, the president got expelled. And guess who had to deliver the commencement speech? Me. Anyway, totally other story. (laughs) But I was terrified. And it wasn't until when I first started my business, I wasn't actually coaching people on speaking and communication. I was coaching on fear, Michael. I'm a fearless, a certified fearless living coach. And I was working with business owners, advisors included, on how to get past the fears and excuses that were holding them back in their business. And I had people coming up to me saying, you know, you really need to speak. It's the best way to grow your business. And a lot of people could benefit from your message. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. And then the irony dawned on me that I'm trying to help you get past your biggest fear and I won't get past mine. Well, that didn't work so well for me. So I thought, all right, I got to do this thing. But if I'm going to do this thing, I need a mentor and I need a process. And so I found my mentor. I learned his process, and that is what I hung my hat on. I thought, well, if it worked for him and other people, how bad could I be? And that is how I got myself out there speaking. And over time, I fell in love. And I, I nerd out, like you nerd out about your stuff. I am a nerd and a geek when it comes to this. I could talk about it all day long in every little nuance and never get sick of it. And so that's how you start.
1: So having done this for, for years now and consulted with a lot of advisors trying to get through this over the years what like what do you find is the biggest gap of just what what most advisors don't get about the the sales and prospecting communication part
2: what they don't understand is that your words are assets
1: what does that mean? Your words are assets. Okay,
2: let me give you an illustration here. So a client of mine, Mike, he for years was doing this college planning seminar, this one seminar, he would do it nine times a year in local high schools. And in 2011, he said, I, I'm i really wondering if if I should do this anymore. Like, it just doesn't seem like it's worth the time, you know, the time to get all, you know, set and go and do the thing. And I'm only getting a couple of clients a year. So fast forward 10 years later, and I get this email from him and he's like, Deirdre, I just want to tell you how much income I've generated from this one college planning seminar. And I was like, okay, well, how much? North of $2 million. So the way that it went from being this, should I do this anymore to north of $2 million is we used the crazy good talks blueprint and we rewrote the seminar. Right. So, Michael, do you think he thinks that's an asset in his business, that seminar? Right. Right? That seminar actually bring it drives revenue. It's like having money in the bank. With the compounding interest, right? Right. Every time he gives it, he gets more clients, and then those clients bring him more clients. And so, advisors don't understand that your words and your ideas are not just words and ideas that you can haphazardly string together. And just because you can talk doesn't mean you can speak. And just because you know how to write doesn't mean you're putting together your words and ideas in a way that's actually moving the needle. And so, my hope, my prayer for you is I mean, I would obviously love to work with you, but if it's not me, work with someone who can teach you this skill. It will, blow your mind what can happen when you get good at this.
1: So what was the low point in your career, in your journey through learning all this and figuring all of it out?
2: I think the low point was particularly in the first from maybe 2012 until about 18, where I was really beating a drum trying to convince the industry that these things were important. And what's been nice over the last several years is that I feel like the industry has caught up and now I have people asking me for it. Storytelling, right? Really powerful communication, not having to do the convincing. Here's why it's important, why you need to consider this. I have people calling going, okay, we know that storytelling is strategic storytelling is super important. We know the why story is a key part of our marketing messages. We know we should be powerful speakers. Like I feel like it's start. people are starting to actually catch on.
1: So I guess just in in that context can you just explain for everyone like how just what do you actually do like how do you how do you work with advisors or they engage you I guess that that's your opportunity to share your desire story oh, if you're so sure. inclined. Yeah.
2: yeah 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 no so so the three way we work with advisors in three ways so companies will hire us to to do specific consulting projects for them or bring us in to do keynotes at conferences like you like that's how we met right to do keynoting conferences or doing training. So that's that's one way. And so that's working kind of at the, you know, one remove from the advisor in that the, the corporate entity is hiring us to work with the advisor or with a wholesaler or with their leaders. And then the way we work directly where the advisor hires us directly is in one of two ways. The first is our done for you asset creation. And that's where we actually write your stories for you. So we write your why story or stories and we write your desire story or stories. So a lot of advisors, particularly the uh, kind of top producer advisor, doesn't have the time nor the inclination to learn how to be a great story creator, right? And so we've set, it up, set up a process. I'm thinking about calling it the 60-minute story because we interview you. And in 60 minutes, I will figure out what the story is, make sure it's the right story for your ideal clients. And then my, my team of writers will actually write your story for you. And then we deliver you a playbook. And then I, we have another session where I coach you on your delivery because you know the words are about 80% of it and the structure is 80% of it, but the words without the right inflection and intonation isn't gonna right. get you where you need to go. So then we coach you on your delivery and then you get a playbook of, how do we use the story in one-on-one meetings in, you know, group, online, everywhere? So that's the second way we work with advisors. And then, and then the third way is there. we have advisors who want to learn these skills. They want to learn how to be a crazy good speaker on stage, in front of groups. They want to be more effective one-on-one. They actually want to be able to write and tell their own stories. And so then we've got the Crazy Good Talks Blueprint and the Emotionally Engaging Advisor virtual training programs.
1: Is there a typical advisor who engages with you. I mean, I said like the done for you is sort of the Deidre, this sounds great, but I'm really busy. I don't actually have time to go through all the stuff. So that's just to like, I'll pay you, you interview me for 60 minutes and you're just going to give me the stuff so I can run with it. The last option is, is just the advisor who wants to learn to speak more like, and, and wants to go down that road.
2: They want to go down that road. They want to be really compelling in front of clients for financial education because they want to bring in more business. They want to set more appointments and bring more business. Or they might be like my client, Jimmy Williams, who's like the top of his game, but he's got a podcast, Michael. He actually wanted to get paid to speak. So we were able to teach him to get good enough. So he's commanding really nice fees as actually a paid speaker. And he wanted to be that ambassador for his company to drive more revenue.
1: So what advice would you give for younger, newer advisors getting started today and wanting to get off on the right foot.
2: I know this is so hard in the beginning of your career. It does go back to that. Try not to prove yourself, like be yourself as much as you can and really nail your why story, nail why you're doing what you do, because you you don't have a lot of experience behind you, but hopefully you're working with a firm where you're, you know, maybe you're doing joint field work and you have other people you can bring in who do have the experience. People are going to connect more with your story and your passion for what you're doing than you trying to prove, you know, stuff you don't yet know.
1: And then out of curiosity, just because you'd mentioned earlier, and I'm not sure we circled back on it, but you had kind of talked about your, your different differentiators and the controversial tip. What was the controversial oh, yeah. one?
0: Okay.
2: So the, so we talked about that process in the one-on-one sales meeting, right. Or the mm-hmm. one-on-one, you know, connection meeting where you're sitting down, you have the nicey, nice chit chat, and then you go into the, what made you want to invest the time to talk with me today. Right. So one thing that I recommend you try, and I, I, I do this, I have clients that do this, and it's worked extremely well, but it does fly in the face of what you might have been taught in this industry. And, I, and I'll, talk, I'll talk about the caveat to that, is instead of just jumping right in and asking them to kind of open up and show you kind of their underbelly, for you to actually take two minutes and share your why story first. And I'll tell you why I'm suggesting this. There's two reasons. One, Michael, have you ever been in a situation where someone actually has been vulnerable with you first? Yep. Has that made it easier for you then to be vulnerable with them?
1: Yeah, it's really it's really powerful. They're just yeah. sort of like, wow, you put that right out there up front. It's like- Okay, I guess I sort of have to be out there now too. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. The law of
2: reciprocity, and you immediately feel more affinity for that person, and usually more more trust for the person. and And what advisors are doing is, you're like, you're asking Sally and Bob to come in. They might have never met you, and now you're like, hey, tell me all your deepest, darkest secrets. Well, that can be really hard with someone you really don't know or know if you even like yet, right? And this is why choosing the right why story is critical because you don't want to air your dirty laundry. This isn't about like, hey, I, you know, went out boozing last night and you know what I mean? I mean, this isn't that. This is this is a story that's actually going to resonate with your listener. Oh, and then the second reason is it builds that trust, connection, and likability very, very quickly. Nothing will build the trust, connection, and likability faster than the right why story. And I've test- tested this. I've tested this over and over and over again. So it could look something like this if you're willing to try it is, you know, you're talking to Bob and Sally, you do nice and nice chit-chat, then it's time for you to move into the meeting and you can say, okay, you know, Bob and Sally, I'm really happy that Michael introduced us. And the bulk of today's meeting is going to be about you. And I'm so excited to learn about your goals and your dreams and kind of what's going on with you. And I'll imagine there's some questions that you're going to have for me. But the most important question that I think clients have is not so much what I do, it's why I do what I do. So before we jump into why you're here, would you mind if I took two minutes and share with me why I care that you're here?
1: Okay, yeah, I'm curious, right? Like that's, you set it up that way. I'm like, okay, all right, right. I'll bite. like, go ahead.
2: Okay, and then you share your why story and, and it should be, you know, two and a half to three minutes, about 450, 475 words, no more than that. And then what you'd say is, so that's why I'm here today. Let's talk about why you're here today. What made you want to invest the time to talk with me today? And there it is. Now, I was talking with two advisors yesterday about this because we were writing, we we wrote their why stories and we were doing the presentation session where I coached them, like on what we just did on how to use this. And one of them said, Okay, so what I normally do is I I, I do start out and I'm asking the questions about them. And then there's there's this spot in the middle where I do stop and I tell them about our company. Could I put it there? I could tell them about the company and then I could tell the why story. I said, Absolutely, you can put it there because I want this to feel organic. It might feel weird in the beginning because it's new, but I don't want it to feel contrived or sound contrived. So I said, You can put it there, but Please lead with your why story before you go into your company. I promise you they care little about your company and more about you. So sell you and sell the emotion first. And then if you've got like three bullet points about your company that you want to share, you can do it after that. But you got to get them to trust you and buy into you first. And then the last place, if sometimes you get into a meeting with someone, you can tell this is a real driver analytical. And if you stop them to tell your story, they're going to be annoyed. So, So you have to gauge the client too. If that happens, you could tell the story at the end, and you've asked that question, hey, would love to work with you. Do you, know, do you want to take that next step? And they're like, great, yes. What's the next step? Well, I need you to do X, Y, Z, this and that thing, right? And so you say, okay, so this is these are the next steps. And before we wrap up, would it be okay if I just shared two minutes to tell you why I actually do this work and why I care about you following through on those action steps that we just agreed to? And then you could share the why story there. So you have choices. I don't like to get overly prescriptive.
1: So, as we wrap up, this is a a podcast about success, and one of the themes that always comes up is just the the word success means very different things to different people. And so, you know, you're having w- wonderful success and growth with the with the business, as you said. I think the the industry is finally kind of coming around to maybe you maybe we need to have better conversations than I get paid in two ways and all, all the different yeah. traditional very salesy scripts we've had in the past. So you know, the 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 business is doing well. But, how do you define success for yourself at this point?
2: Yeah, so I've defined success, and that's such a deep question, right? So I'm going to take the sixty thousand foot view is am I hitting the double bottom line in my life and in my business? And what the double bottom line means, uh, particularly I'll just put it in the business context for today for this answer, is I call myself a human centered capitalist, which means Absolutely, I'm a business and we're looking at profits, but not at the expense of people. And so whatever we do has to make good business sense, but it has to make even more good people sense. And so for me, you know, my relationship with Jesus and with God is the central part of my life. I believe everyone is created in God's image. And so my goal, whenever I interact with anyone, Michael, is that they would, they would feel love, like they would feel, maybe they're not recognizing it as God's love, but I'm hoping through me, they will feel loved and they will feel encouraged. And if people walk out of my presence or out of my team's presence, feeling loved and encouraged, I know I've fulfilled my purpose and that is success.
1: I love it. Well, thank you so much, Deirdre, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast.
0: Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com